Thank you for tuning in to the audio podcast of Renaissance Church, a new church plant located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please check out our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like more information about joining the launch team of Renaissance, or if you would like information on how you can partner with us to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. morning, we are continuing our series in the book of Mark. And so I have a question. How many people enjoy the Olympics? I don't know if it's not really Olympics time. I do, mostly. There's some lame things in the Olympics, right? Everybody thinks, like things that I'm like, nope, not watching that. Too boring, too slow, right? There's some lame things, but, but I like the Olympics mostly. Now, imagine for a minute, you know, you have to think and use your imagination here. Imagine if the next Olympics, I don't know when it is, I don't remember where it is. I should have, you know, I could have looked these things up. I knew I was going to say this, right? But I didn't look it up. But imagine if they created a sport called canyon jumping. Right? Now, this would be really cool. I don't think I'd want to do it because here are the rules for canyon jumping. Right? Everyone lines up at the edge of the canyon, okay? and, and the goal is you have to jump as far as possible. But the only way to win canyon jumping is to actually get to the other side of the canyon. Now, the canyon's probably about half a kilometer wide. Um, if you're not from Canada, that's little less than a mile. More than, it's less than a mile, it's, but it's far, right? Um, if you don't know kilometers, right? Um, so, but that's the goal. So that's the way you win, is to jump and get across. Now, if you lose, you actually really, really lose, like, your life. It's not good. It's a, it's a, it's a dangerous sport. It's a risky sport. Um, but this is, this is canyon jumping. So if you were the athlete involved in this, you'd have some serious trouble believing that this was possible. Because everyone would lose because it is not possible to jump that far. Simple analogy. Hang with me, right? Because every single one of us knows what it feels like to not have the ability to accomplish something, to not have the ability to do what it takes. We don't have what it takes, and maybe we truly do our best, and we try our hardest sometimes. I do that often. I'm like, I try and try and keep doing, trying to accomplish something. Or sometimes we just say, forget it. I give up. I don't care anymore. I can't do it. I can't accomplish it. I'm not able to, so we give up. So the questions this morning, what do we do when we feel helpless? What do we do when, in our faith and in, in, in this relationship with God and these things that we search out, these things that we're curious about? What's it mean to follow Jesus? What do we do when our faith feels really small? What do we do when we wrestle with the very, very real things of doubt and unbelief and questions? God, where are you? What is happening here? I don't understand this. Are you really there? What's going on? What do we do when we face these things. What do we do when we don't have what it takes to get across that canyon? Because the only way you win is if you make it to the other side. Otherwise, you lose, right? And it can feel like that at times. Are we willing to put our trust in God when we are powerless on our own? How does God work? What does God do in the midst of that this morning? And so the main thing I want us to see and hear this morning is that God works through prayer and faith. It seems really simple. We're going to unpack that and see that from our scripture this morning. But God works through prayer and faith. As I said, we're continuing in our series called Follow Jesus to study through the book of Mark. This morning we're going to read Mark chapter 9, part of that, part of that chapter. And as we read, you're going to hear in a minute, there are plenty of strange things happening. 
mostly involving like what the, what the scripture says, unclean spirits or demons, right? So again, I want to say welcome to Renaissance, get some coffee and some pastries, and we're going to talk about demons. So good morning. I hope you're awake. Hope you're ready to go, right? Uh, but no, we're going to hang with me. We'll get to that, all right? I know it's a little odd to like, you know, get up in the morning and talk about demons, but that's, it's, it's in the passage. It's in the scripture this morning, all right? So here's what we're going to see as we read this passage. We're going to see that by healing a boy with an unclean spirit, Jesus shows the disciples the difference between the weakness of human ability and the faith in the power of God. We're going to see this contrast, the weakness of human human ability or human strength and faith in the power of God because God works through prayer and faith. All right, we're going to read from Mark chapter 9. If you've got a Bible, you can go there. It's in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are known as the Gospels, and they give us the story of the birth and life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you need a Bible, right there on the back end of the the chairs there, there are Bibles. There are French Bibles and English Bibles. You're welcome to take one of those. If you don't own a Bible, you're welcome to keep one of those. You're also welcome to use a table of contents to find Mark. That's not a bad thing, right? So, Mark chapter 9, it will also be on the screen so you can read along with us. So we're going to start in verse 14, um, reading the story of Jesus healing a boy with an unclean spirit. Here's what it says. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for him who believes, for for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. All right. A lot of strange things happening here. We're going to get to it and go through this together. So, kind of looking back at the story and thinking about what's happening. As we look at the passage, it starts with the disciples and the scribes arguing. The scribes were were religious leaders of that day, and often they came to kind of stir up trouble. They didn't believe Jesus was the Son of God. They had issues with that. And so there's an argument happening, and Jesus shows up. And if you read, there's there's a lot of extra stuff going on in Mark chapter 9, and we're going to focus on this section today. So read it on your own. Um, But this is right on the heels of what's called the transfiguration. 
Transfiguration, which was this time where Jesus was up on a mountain with three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, and they got a glimpse of like the beauty and divinity and holiness of Jesus. They see Jesus like radiating light and glorious and all these things. And so they've had this like literal like mountaintop experience, and they come down the mountain to an argument, right? So that happens, right? We have like something amazing happening and like you go to the next thing in your life and it's like, why is this so chaotic, right? So they come down and there's this argument happening and Jesus says, what's going on? He gets the whole story, right? There's a boy with an unclean spirit. The disciples are not able to cast out this unclean spirit or demon, right? The boy's father says, hey, we've got a problem here. My son is possessed by a demon and your disciples couldn't help. They couldn't do it. They couldn't make it happen. And this spirit is causing the boy to not be able to speak. And at various times, it causes seizure-like symptoms, throwing the boy to the ground, really trying to destroy him. That's what it says, trying to kill him. And, and, and they, it describes it. Like, imagine having this in your life and being thrown, like, into a lake or thrown into a fire, right? It's dangerous. And that's what um, was happening here. And so this can seem a little bit crazy to us. Maybe just not even, like, believable at all, right? Or we're like, okay, do we really still believe in demons? This seems a little odd, right? Do we really still believe in this? Or you may, like, we have kind of often have the urge to, like, explain it away by, like, well, it was probably a medical condition, right? It was probably this or that happening um, and, and things like that. But what I know is this, and all the answers that I don't know, I know that there is a spiritual realm. We interact with God in a spiritual way, and in the same way there is an enemy in the spiritual realm that wants to kill, steal, and destroy, that wants to pull people away from relationship with God. And so we see this story and see that Jesus had power and authority over this demon and over this demonic activity. He cast the demon out. The boy is no longer afflicted. You You see how Jesus interacts. He says, leave, get out, don't come back. And there's an authority there that Jesus is the conquering king with authority over demonic activity. So he cast the demon out and all of that. So it's a happy ending, right? We all love happy endings. It's like watching a sitcom. It's 30 minutes where all of life's issues get solved. My kids are watching Full House right now, kind of little by little. Man, they've got some serious stuff going on in their house, but luckily it all gets solved every episode, right? You know, if you watch a sitcom, everything gets solved, even in 30 minutes with commercials. It's all good, right? So we see a happy ending in this story. The the demon is cast out. The boy is restored. I can imagine that the father and the boy were, like, incredibly relieved. Their life was, like, drastically changed that day. So that's what, that's what I see happening on the surface of this story. But what I want to do this morning is look under the surface a little bit. Kind of look behind the scenes at, we see this story of this demonic activity, this issue happening in these people's life, and I want us to use that as kind of a backdrop to what I think the more important spiritual truths are happening behind that this morning. Because what does this story teach us about God? We ask those questions, and what does it teach us about ourselves? And what does it teach us about how does it impact our regular lives? We read a story about a boy with a demon foaming at the mouth, grinding his teeth. We're like, what does that have to do with my job or my school or whatever it is? We're going to ask those questions this morning. How does this deal with my regular life? Two main things I want to contrast this morning as we look at. First one is faith and unbelief. And the second thing is our weakness and God's power. So faith and unbelief our weakness, and God's power. These are the things, I think, that are happening under the surface of the immediate in this story, all right? If you're awake, nod your head, something like that. We're going to move forward. Here we go, all right? So faith and unbelief. 
And we see this theme of faith and unbelief all over this passage happening in multiple ways. So the disciples, they were not able to cast out the demon. And Jesus responds by talking about their faith. Right? We see in the story, hey, the, the, the father says, your disciples, they weren't able to do it. Jesus comes on the scene. In verse 19, Jesus says this, Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. I think this is kind of a strange response. Jesus comes down and he's like, you guys, what's happening here, right? But I think there's a lot of ways to say the same thing. Think about a simple phrase like, good night. You can say good night in a lot of different ways. You could say good night like so sweetly and lovingly. Good night, you know, it's a wonderful, we had a wonderful day. I love you, good night, right? You could say it um, angrily, you know, good night, like you're just done. Right? You can say it like uh, sarcastically, like good night, you know, whatever. There's lots of ways to say the same thing, right? And if, especially uh, if you're married, you know these variations quite well. And you know when you use them, right? You know what you mean, like when you just kind of like roll over and say good night, like you're not being very nice, right? So there's a lot of ways to say the same thing. And so we, 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 don't, we can't hear the way, the tone of voice Jesus had here. And I really, honestly, I don't know. Is he annoyed? Is he like, gosh, you guys, come on. What is happening? You faithless generation. Is he angry? Is he like yelling at them? You faithless generation, right? Is he amused? Is he like, oh, you guys crack me up. You don't get it, do you? I don't know, right? We can't hear that tone of voice here. But what, what was he saying? He says you're faithless, which is this word is like unbelieving. The disciples lacked the faith to do what Jesus had given them authority to do. And so as we'd be going through Mark, you probably don't remember this, and that's fine. But in Mark chapter 6, Jesus sent out the disciples. And he said, hey, I want you to go by, in pairs, and I want you to go all these places, proclaiming the kingdom, healing the sick, casting out demons. He said, I give you authority to do all of this. So Jesus has given them the authority to do this. And then we come here, and they can't. So they lacked the faith to do what Jesus had given them the authority to already do. He says, you're faithless. You're lacking faith. And then he says, how long must I bear with you? How long must I be with you? Right? He's saying, how long is this going to happen? You guys just don't get it, do you? Right? And while I don't know what Jesus' tone of voice is here, here what, here's what I think he's trying to communicate. He's saying, guys, you're missing the point. What is the problem here? Because you have, Jesus is telling the disciples, you have seen the power of God over and over and over. You've seen miracles. You've seen people healed. You've seen demons cast out. Why is your faith still so small? The focus here, I think, in Jesus' question of, Jesus' statement, you faithless generation, the focus is on the disciples' faith, or really their lack of faith. Because they were lacking faith in the power of God to see this demon cast out. And so Jesus steps in. He says, bring the boy to me. Jesus takes over. So really, side note, no matter what the tone of voice that Jesus had here, no matter what his, his focus was, we see the result. He has compassion on this boy, and he is patient with his disciples which is good news for us because in the moments, in the times when we just don't have it figured out and we wrestle with doubt and we struggle and Jesus could look to me or you and say, you faithless generation, how long? You've seen the power of God. You've seen who God is and what he has done. How long are you going to miss the point? But yet he looks at us with compassion and with patience and he says, trust me, I will do this. I'll do what you can't do. All right? That's good news, right? So this, Jesus says, bring the boy to me. They bring the boy to Jesus. 
And when you read the story here, I want you to picture this in your mind. They bring the boy to Jesus, and immediately the demon in the boy, right, starts like freaking out and starts going nuts. It says he's like it's convulsing. The boy is thrown to the ground. Now, what would make sense is that right away Jesus would like do something, right? He's like, okay, cast the demon out. Jesus doesn't do that. He ends up walking over and having a conversation with the father. Now, put this is crazy to me. He's like, so uh, how's the wife and kids? You know, he's like, well, not good. He's over here on the ground, and he's like convulsing and foaming, and like there's this demon attacking him. And Jesus says, he's like, okay, well, how long has this been um, impacting him? And he's like, from childhood. And they have this whole conversation. I mean, there's this whole crowd around, and Jesus is just standing there talking to the father while this poor boy is like being thrown around on the ground by this demon. It seems a little crazy, right? Jesus kind of like, steps to the side. But then in this conversation, the father of the boy, he says to Jesus, he says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Think about what the father is asking there. He says, if you can, if you can do anything. That doesn't seem like it's filled with a lot of faith, but I really think it is. Because they've got nowhere else to turn This boy has nowhere else to turn. This father has probably done all kinds of things. He comes to Jesus. He says, your your disciples couldn't do it. He says, Jesus, if you can. And Jesus kind of calls him out. He says, if you can. Like, it literally, Jesus just repeats. He's like, if you can. I'm the son of God. Of course I can, right? I'm able to. Really? I can do this. And And in verse 23, Jesus says, all things are possible For one who believes. Now, that's a tricky verse, right? Does this mean that if we believe it, then it's possible? Well, probably not, right? Because if I, we'll go back to my my canyon here, right? If if I'm the athlete and I'm like, I can believe that, I I believe that I can fly, right? I believe it. With all the power in my mind, with all the faith that I have, I'm going to jump across this canyon and I'm going to fly, right? And so if I do this, I run, I jump, I believe. Like, it's not going to work out well, right? So I don't think this verse means, believe it and it'll happen. But what is Jesus saying here, right? Because we've talked about this before here at our church. It doesn't work that way. Our faith is not in faith. Our faith is not in how strong our faith feels or how much we can, like, work up this, like, some sort of weird spiritual energy to say, okay, I have a lot of faith, so I believe it, it's going to happen. No, that's not how it works. But what Jesus, I think, is showing us, he's showing us how faith in the belief, faith and belief in the power of God is the avenue through which he works. Jesus isn't saying, believe it and it'll come true if you believe hard enough, right? He says, listen, you've got your focus in the wrong places. When you put your focus on God, when you put your focus on the power and the authority of Jesus, he says, anything is possible. And so for us, we learn to look to him and say, okay, I can't, but you can. That's the, that's the essence here of this idea that Jesus is talking about, that faith and belief in the power of God is the avenue through which God can work. So I love the dad's answer here. He says, I believe Help my unbelief. It's an incredible prayer. What an honest prayer. Because it's really small and feeble faith. Yet Jesus responds and Jesus works. This man didn't have massive faith. Whatever that means, whatever that looks like. He didn't have that. But he was going all in on Jesus. He said, I believe 
And there's things that I don't understand that I don't know how it's going to work, but I believe. And help me in those places where I'm weak. And help me in those places where I don't have it figured out. I believe and help my unbelief. And we see the result that Jesus casts out the demon and heals the boy. He's made whole. The people are like, I think he's dead now, but no, he wasn't. Everything was good, right? Jesus healed them that in spite of the lack of faith of the disciples and the small faith of this father, Jesus works. How do we think about this idea of, I believe, help my unbelief, right? How's this work? How can we say those two things at the same time? So I have, like I was, as I was thinking about this, like, I've had the chance to fly in airplanes quite a bit, not as the pilot, as the passenger, right? Um, but I've had a chance to fly quite a bit. And, and every time that, you know, I ride in an airplane, I have this little thought. I'm not, like, afraid of flying in airplanes at all. It doesn't bother me at all. But, but it's a weird thought. Um, I have the faith that I'm going to get where I'm going when I get in an airplane, right? Um, I couldn't explain to you how a massive thing like an airplane gets off the ground and stays in the sky for a long time. I realize there are people that can't explain that, right? It has to do with like thrust and propelling, I don't know, right? It has to do with all kinds of stuff like that. It's due to speed and all those kind of things. But really, when you just think about, there's this giant metal tube that just stays in the sky, and nobody really, there's some people that freak out about it. Nobody, like most people on airplanes, they're like, no, I'm good. I'm just on an airplane, right? But it's a weird thing to think about. It's almost unbelievable to say, this massive giant metal tube stays in the air for as long as it does, and everything's okay most of the time. Thank God, right? But when I take an airplane, my faith that everything will work smoothly outweighs any bit of like unbelief or doubt I have that this giant metal tube will fly. So we've got faith, hey, I believe I'm going to get where I'm going, and unbelief, I don't understand this, I don't know, this is kind of crazy that this thing stays in the air, but they work at the same time. It's possible to have faith while not fully knowing how all of this will work. I think that's what the Father in this story today is praying. I believe. Jesus, I believe that you can do this, but I don't know how it works. And I'm lacking in some things, but Jesus, I believe. Can you help me? Help me in those places where my faith is strong. My faith is so small, so weak, but Jesus, you are strong. And when my weak faith is in a strong God, that's a good place to be. When we come to God and say, I can't figure it all out. I don't know all the answers, but God, I don't have to, and I trust you. And in those places where I don't know and where I feel weak, God, help me, strengthen me. I believe, but help my unbelief. And every single one of us, if we are honest, we wrestle with doubt at times. And we wrestle with unbelief. First of all, I want you to know that's normal this morning, right? Whether you've been following Jesus for a long time or this is new to you or maybe this, you're not quite sure yet. I don't know if I believe all this, but I'm curious about all this and I'm kind of looking. I struggle with this. I doubt that this is all really what it is. It's normal. It's okay. There are plenty of times when I doubt and I think, am I crazy? Am I missing something here? Is God really there? When we pray, is God really listening? And we have these internal voices that happen in our life. Is God really going to work in the ways that he says his word that he's going to work, in his word that he's going to work. And we can have doubt. We can have unbelief. You may be wrestling with doubt right now in your life. You may be struggling with that. And I want to encourage you, keep wrestling. It's not a bad thing. God can handle your questions. God can handle your wrestling. God can handle those things. 
And I would encourage you to say this. There's a pastor named Tim Keller that says this all the time, and I think it's, it's great. He says, doubt your doubts, right? We get so hung up sometimes on the things that we doubt when we forget to say, you know what? I don't know everything. My, my knowledge is pretty limited. Doubt your doubts and say, God, I believe. Help my unbelief where I don't have it figured out. Our faith, there is faith in faith. Our faith is let me back up. Our relationship with God, our connection with God is through faith. There is mystery involved in who God is. And it's okay to say, I don't know every answer. I can't figure it all out. I don't know how this works. But go to God's word. Go to the Bible. In the Bible is where we see this is who God is. This is who he has promised, the things he has promised to do. This is how we can know him and follow him. So doubt your doubts. Go to God's word. Following Jesus is a life of faith. Learn to live with the prayer in your heart of, God, I believe and help my unbelief. God is okay with that when we come and just say, I don't know everything, but God, I want to trust you. I want to follow you. Help me where I am weak. We look and we, we, we look at this, this passage where Jesus says, all things are possible for him who believes. All things are possible in him. Thank God that he works by his power, not the amount of our faith. If God worked according to the amount of my faith, it would be very weak. It would be very small. It would be very limited. And so I'm thankful that God works according to his power, not my faith. So I'm thankful for that. And so whatever you are praying for in your life right now, the things you're struggling with, the things you're waiting for, the things you're asking God for, put your trust in him and know this morning all things are possible with him. Not if our faith is strong enough, but we can look to a God and say, God, I'm going to trust you that you know what you're doing and you will accomplish what you need to accomplish so that, God, you are glorified so that you get the attention. He is able. He knows what he's doing. And the man in the story this morning said, if you can. What is your if you can in your heart right now? What is the if you can going on in your life where you would say, God, if you can, help me? What is that this morning? What are you waiting for God to do? Maybe you're doubting and struggling with that. Maybe you can't see what's next, what's coming for you. Maybe you can't, maybe you're saying, like, God, if you can. And the reality this morning, not from me, but from God's word, is that He can, He is able. That's not a promise he's going to automatically do whatever you think he should do, but he is able to accomplish his will. He is able to accomplish what he wants to do so that he works in our lives, so our lives look like Jesus, and so that he is glorified. God works through prayer and faith, and when we put our faith in him, he can work in ways that we cannot figure out. So God works through prayer and faith. So we see this contrast of faith and unbelief. Let's shift now. The second thing we see in this passage— our weakness, and God's power. And we see a contrast between these two things in this passage. And so as I, as I was studying this this week and thinking about it, one of the things that stood out to me the most in this passage was verse 18, where it says, uh, the, the father says, you know, the demon seizes him, throws him down, he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. He said, so I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And that stood out to me this week of all the times that I try and try and try to do something, but then I come to the realization, I can't. I'm not able to do whatever it is that I'm trying to do. 
The disciples tried. They were not able to cast out the demon. They did not have the power. They were not strong enough. Jesus shows up, and he is able. So we see their weakness and see God's power. Now, you know that thing where, like, you're trying to get a jar open in the kitchen, and you hand it to someone else, and they, like, pop it open right away, and then, you know, the joke, oh, you loosened it for me, right? You guys all know that, right? Right? So I don't really think that's what's happening here. I don't think the disciples are like, yeah, we tried. We couldn't do it, but we loosened it a little bit for you, Jesus. Like, it's, no, they just couldn't do it. Like, they were not able to do it. But here's the point. The disciples, because of their lack of faith, we're not able to do it. And I don't know why they lacked faith. Maybe they looked at the situation and they're like, this is too big. We can't do this. We don't, we don't really do it. Where's Jesus? Jesus left us last night and he's gone. He's not here. We, we can't do this on our own, right? They were lacking in faith. But in contrast, we see that Jesus is able. He can do it. Because in verse 29, after the whole kind of episode here ends, the disciples go into a house with Jesus, is what it says in verse 29, and they ask him a question. They say, hey, why could we not cast it out? We tried. We just couldn't do it. And Jesus says this. He says, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Now, this is kind of odd because this is the first time that prayer becomes part of this conversation, right? Jesus just kind of throws that in at the very end, literally the last word of this passage, prayer, right? But what is Jesus getting out, getting at? It's this. This is connected to the issue of faith. This is connected to what we're seeing as the power of God. Jesus was saying the only way to cast out the demon was through prayer, which prayer is what? Prayer is faith in God, dependence on God, saying, God, we need you to do it because we can't. Prayer is recognizing that without God, we are sunk. We often think of prayer as me talking to God. Sometimes we say, okay, it's also God talking to me. It is those things, but prayer is not just our words and not just listening. Prayer is under the surface something happening in our life. We pray, we go to God because we recognize that we are unable to do what we're doing and we need him. So prayer is more, it is words, it is listening, it is all of those things, but prayer is a posture of our heart that says, I can't do it. And God, I need you. And so I'm asking you to do it. And that's where prayer comes alive in our lives. So where it's not just, okay, I have to take this time. I need to say these things. I need to pray. I need to go through these things in my life. But when prayer is the posture of every moment of our life of, God, I can't, but you can, prayer comes alive because we are learning to live a life of depending on God, of trusting him. So the disciples' problem here was their lack of faith, their lack of prayer. They were leaning on their own ability to do something that only God could do. God works through prayer and faith. Because I think had the disciples said, God, we can't do it. God, we need your help. Help us. Right? What would have happened in that scenario? They lacked faith and they lacked prayer. And Jesus points it out. He says, listen, you guys weren't going to be able to do this. It was only going to be through prayer, which is to say it was only going to be through the power of God doing the work of casting out this demon. And we take, if you look at the Bible kind of on a big picture, this theme of the, the, the weakness of people is all over the Bible. That God uses the weak. God uses the unassuming one time, God used a donkey to speak for him, right? If God can use 
a donkey, then hopefully, and maybe, he can use me, he can use you. That God uses things that don't make sense sometimes. God uses the weak to accomplish his purposes. God works through prayer and faith. He doesn't work through our own efforts and our own intellect and our own good looks and whatever it is. God works through prayer and faith when we are dependent on him. So what does all this mean for us here? First of all, we need to recognize that we are powerless. On our own, we are not able to live the life that God has called us to live. In my own strength, in your own strength, you will never be able to um, live up to God's standard. You will never be able to be good enough. And some people are like, that's awful. Why would you say that? Right? But for others, that's very, like, hopeful. Like, I can't, but God can You and I will never be able to live up to all that God has called us to do. So this can be disheartening, but it's also good news. I read a quote this week from a pastor named Mark Dever, and it says this, Our helplessness is the door into complete trust in God. That's good news. Our helplessness is the door into complete trust in God. This is backwards. This is not the way the world thinks. This is not the way we think naturally. We think, if I want to get better, I've got to work harder. I've got to be better. I've got to do better. I've got to make better connections. I've got to know more people. That's how I get ahead. It's opposite in the kingdom of God. Our helplessness, recognizing I can't do it, is the door into complete trust in God. That when we recognize and embrace our weakness, it drives us to our knees in prayer and teaches us to depend on God. This goes back to what is the heart of prayer. The heart of prayer is recognizing our helplessness. It's when we recognize helplessness that I think we truly start to pray. That's beyond just words. When we come to God, I I give up. I can't. What is the most, I think the most honest prayer is, God, I can't. Help me. God, I can't do it. But I look to you. I believe, help my unbelief, and we run to him in prayer. That he is powerful. He's able to do what we are unable to do. This hit me hard personally this week because as a pastor and in our church and in this community so many times, and I mean like I wrestle with this probably on a daily basis, I begin working and I begin saying, okay, we want to see a church in this neighborhood. We want to see other churches planted. We want to see God working in people's lives. And I find myself saying, what do I have to do? And trying and working and trying to make these things happen. But I'm not able to. I'm not able to see someone's life transformed by Jesus. Like, I, I can't do it. Like, I, I can tell someone who Jesus is, and I can tell someone the good news of Jesus, but I can't change their heart. I can't, like, we can invite people to come to our church. We can invite people to come to community groups. We can do all these things, but, but I can't, like, go to their house and pick them up and carry them here. First of all, that'd be really weird and awkward, right? But, but I can't do it. It's God and God alone that does the work that we're unable to do. And that kind of work is only accomplished by prayer. And I think that's what Jesus is pointing out here. Jesus was talking about this situation with this boy and the demon. But Jesus is saying, hey, that kind can only be driven out by any, this, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer It's the same thing in our lives when we think about church and ministry and all these things. We can't do it. And this only gets done by prayer and by God at work. Because it's when we release control and trust God that we start to see him work. 
And we can come to the point where we can stand back and be amazed and say, I couldn't have done that. And that's way better than saying, well, look what I did, right? It's the position we want to be in where we say, we stand back and we say, God, would you work in my life? And we start to say, God, you could, the only way that could happen is through you and what you want to do. And we think about this issue of prayer in this passage this morning. Ask yourself this morning, what does my prayer life look like? It can be like, it's not too good, right? Whatever. Okay? We've all been there. I've been there many, many times where it seems so weak. But we have to wrestle with this truth that prayer or a lack of prayer in our lives reveals our trust in God. And if we're not praying, it's because we don't trust in God's goodness or we don't trust in God's power. In January, we did a series here at Renaissance about prayer. It's one of the main things, personally for me, came out of that. That when we are not praying, when we are not having an attitude and a posture of prayer in our lives, if we go under the surface, I think one of two things is happening. We don't believe that God is good and loving, that he actually wants to help us, that he actually wants to know us and be in our lives, or we don't believe that God is strong enough to actually answer the prayers that we're asking him to answer. So a lack of prayer in our lives reveals those things. Now that can be like, great, now what? Well, it's good news because we can say, okay, God, help me, right? We just run to him in our weakness. That's good. But I think when you see someone, if you've ever known someone that had a life of prayer, they believed in the power of God, that he could do what needed to be done. And they believed in the goodness of God, that he had love and compassion towards us, that he wants to work in our lives So we recognize our own helplessness, and we let it lead us into a life of prayer, into a posture and an attitude of prayer in our lives that's because of our weakness and recognizing our helplessness. And it leads us to begin praying for things that we cannot do on our own. So think about it in your own life, right? You may know people in your life, and you've been praying for them to come to know Jesus family member, a friend, a neighbor, you can't make them come to Jesus. But I believe it's through prayer that we're asking God to work in people's hearts. We can't make the change, but he can. If you've got kids this morning, hopefully you have them all the time beyond just this morning. But if you have kids and you're here this morning, right, we can try with our kids to manage their safety, to manage their future, to do all these things to keep them safe, to make sure everything's good and like, you know, all of these things. We really can't. We're really pretty helpless. And it's, it's sad, but you see things on Facebook, you see stories all the time of things that happen to kids and it's like those parents were doing everything right. They were doing everything and something happened, right? Something, the kid fell or this or that happened. We can't really keep our kids safe. We can't really plan out their future. Right? We do what God has called us to do to teach them and lead them to Jesus and help them follow Jesus. But, but we can't control every aspect of their lives. But it's prayer. It's prayer where we begin to say, God, I can't, but I entrust my kids to you. That you would draw their hearts to you. That you would protect them. That you would guide them. That you would help them seek after and love and follow you. Maybe you're praying about your own life of future plans, or you're praying for a job to open up, or you know, like something with, with, with career or school or whatever it is, and you just you know that you can't make it happen. You can't go like create interviews for yourself. You can't do whatever it is, but you're saying, God, I need you 
to do it. Maybe you're struggling this morning with some form of addiction, some form of ongoing sin in your life, and you've tried and tried and tried, and you said, okay, I'm not going to do that again. Okay, nope, I'm done. I'm not going to do it again, and we run back to it, and we fall back into it, and we fall into sin and into temptation. You and I don't have the power to conquer sin and addiction in our lives. And I think Jesus would say this kind is only driven out by prayer. That we run to him and we say, I can't have victory over these things in my life unless Jesus is working in me, unless the Spirit of God is enabling me to honor him with my life rather than run back to my addiction and run back to my sin. And so we run to him in prayer and we depend on him. And there are plenty of times where we need outside help. We need people saying, hey, you're thinking wrongly about this. Let me help you connect this thing, right? So I, I get it. It's not just spiritual, but it's first spiritual. Where we deal with these issues of saying, I'm trying to fix my life. I'm trying to clean myself up. I'm trying to do these things. And we are powerless to do it without Jesus in our life. And God works through prayer and faith. As we close this morning, I'm going to have Cage come back up and begin playing. We're going to worship together this morning. But what are the difficult things that you are facing? We look at the story. Obviously, we see front and center, this father has a boy with a demon, and it's destroying their lives. Think about your own life. What are the things that you're facing? What are the things that are destroying your life? Think about that thing and know today that God is able. God is able to conquer whatever is happening in our lives. He's able when you are not able. Maybe this morning you're wrestling with doubt. My encouragement would be be honest about that. Ask God for help. Let someone else in. Let someone be a part of that journey as you wrestle. Someone there to say, hey, Let's talk together. Let's pray together. Let's process questions together. Don't isolate yourself wrestling with doubt because it never ends well. Bring other people. Let other people into that. We are a church that wants to invite people into community. We want to be community for you. We want to be a place where you can process and wrestle with these things. We're always going to point you to Jesus. But we want to help you process and think about what's happening and these doubts that are going on. And come to that point where you say, I believe. Help my unbelief. That small step of faith is a really good place to start. We recognize our weakness. We recognize that that I'm not able to solve the most important thing in life. I am not able to save myself. You are not able to save yourself. You are not able to jump across that canyon. You don't have what it takes to win that race. We look at our story today. It's a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of what Jesus has done for us. The Bible says that every single one of us is broken and sinful and separated from God. And we're going to sing in a minute. It says how great the chasm that lies between us. How great the canyon, how great the gap. God, the gap between you and I was too much. I couldn't fix it. I couldn't bring myself to God. The Bible says that all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God, fallen short of connection with God and relationship with God. And we look at the story of the boy, and the disciples come and says, they're not able. 
that's the place you and I are in, in relationship with God. We are not able. We cannot fix ourselves. And yet we run to a God who is able. That God, out of his love for you and I, out of his love for people, and out of his desire to be glorified and worshiped, sent his son, Jesus. And Jesus was born of a virgin and lived a sinless and perfect life. He did everything right. He is the one who can jump across that canyon. He is the one that is able to do what you and I will never be able to do. That Jesus lived a sinless and perfect life and went to the cross to die for our sin. And it wasn't just him being nice. And it wasn't just a good example for us to follow. That when Jesus went to the cross, he said, I haven't done anything wrong, but I will go to the cross and I will suffer the consequences of the wrath of God. Because of our sin, we deserve God's judgment. We have sinned against him. We've committed treason against God. And we've said, I'll do it my own way. And really, Jesus never deserved to do that. He never deserved to die for sin because he had no sin. And yet he willingly, because of his love for you and his love for me, gave his life on the cross and said, I will die. I will pay the price. I will have the wrath of God put on me so that people can have a way to come into relationship with God. This is the message of Jesus. It's good news because the bad news is we're separated from God. And the other bad news is that we try all kinds of things to fix ourselves. We keep running up and jumping over that canyon and it never ends well, right? Like in a video game, you ever play Mario where you just die every time and you get really tired of it, right? It's what we look like trying to solve our own problems, trying to solve our own life. And we say, okay, good, Jesus has done that. Now what do I need to do? I need to clean up my life. I need to go to church. I should read the Bible. We think all these religious thoughts. And yet what Jesus is saying is that when we put our faith in, we put our faith in him, and we turn away from our sin and we release that control and say, I can't, but God, you can. That is faith in Jesus. Faith in the fact that he is the son of God. Faith in the fact that he gave his life for us. Faith in the fact that he is the only way to get to God. That we are not able, but he is able. When we release that control, put our faith in Jesus and turn away from our sin, the Bible tells us that we are saved by grace through faith. It's not because of our own good efforts and our own work. Because if it was, we would get really prideful about that. And we'd say, look what I have done. But it's only Jesus. And we put our faith in Jesus, it brings humility in our lives. It brings us to a point where we say, I didn't save myself. That person over there, they can't save themselves. I was in sin just the same way they were. But Jesus saved me. And it brings a gratefulness in our hearts and a humility in our hearts. And yet it brings a confidence in our hearts to say, Jesus has loved me and he has pulled me out of my sin. The Bible says he has set my feet upon a rock. He's pulled me out of the mud and the mire and set my feet on the rock so that I can glorify him with my life. It gives us confidence to say, my identity has changed. Jesus has made me clean. Jesus has brought me into relationship with God. And so we have this confidence and we have this humility that mark someone who's following Jesus. 
and it leads us to love people, and it leads us to serve people, and it leads us to do good works that God's prepared in advance for us to do because of his work and his grace in our lives. And so this morning, maybe you need to come and say, Jesus, I put my faith in you. I've been trying to do it on my own, but I need to. I want to put my faith in you. I want to follow you. Would you come and take over? There's another big fancy word in the Bible called repentance, and it simply means to say, I turn away from trying to be in charge of my own life, and I give Jesus control. I release control to him. This is repentance and faith. It's how we come into relationship with God. And this morning, if you want to pray with someone, if you want to explore that, you want to say, I need to follow Jesus, then come and talk to us after church. There's people at the Connect table. Come and talk to me. Come and talk to someone. If you, can, if you came with someone, we would love to talk with you this morning. Maybe today you just need to be honest about your weaknesses in your life and to say, okay, I haven't really been trusting God. And today you need to say, God, I trust you. Whatever it is this morning, are you willing to say, God, I'm going to take a step of faith. I'm going to trust you with whatever's next in my life. If you simply just want to pray with someone, we'd love to connect with you. We'd love to pray with you after the service. So as we continue in worship this morning, Let this time of worship be a time to respond, a time to think about all that Jesus has done, the reality of who Jesus is, thinking about the fact that in our brokenness and weakness and inability, that he is able. And that God doesn't work through our own effort, but God works through prayer and through faith. Let's pray together this morning. Jesus, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the truth of the gospel that you have made a way so that we can know you. God, would you draw our hearts, Lord, as we worship this morning, as we sing these words, let them sink deep into our hearts. That we would put our faith in you and depend on you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.